Hey everyone, this is Chris Haddon with HMB here with another awesome expert interview. Special guest today, my friend Kevin Riegler, longtime friend of mine. He is the owner of Cass Riegler Companies. He's a real estate developer in Washington, D.C. And like I said, a guy I've been friends with for many, many years. Kevin, thanks for taking the time. No problem. Good deal. What do you got going on over there today? Just the usual, obviously, uh, busy times in real estate development these days. Uh, Trying to uh, predict the, the future, but block and tackle through what we got going on now. And, and we've got a handful of projects in the works. And, you know, so far so good, but uh, you know, every day is uh, a new fire drill, and, and uh, <laughs> today's not short of Yeah, I, uh, I can relate. I think a lot of business owners out there can. So um, just to let you know again how we typically do these interviews, just to you know, give the most amount of value possible to the audience, to everyone checking it out today. Um, We'll talk about some general business stuff, your background. A lot of people are very interested in the process of starting a company, like you know, making something out of nothing, which is never an easy thing to do, and there's lots of twists and turns along the way. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some real estate industry-specific stuff, too. Um, what's going on with markets, different deal types. You know, So we'll hit the real estate side of things as well. And then at the end, I'll throw some curveballs, some, some good like entrepreneur type of questions, just to see, just to see the cool answers that will come. Um, all right. <laughs> Good deal. All right. Well, if you wouldn't mind, could you just tell everyone a little bit about your background, who you are, where you came from, how you got started in business? Sure. Uh, I, I grew up in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, like Chris mentioned, you know, we've known each other for a long, long time. And, uh, I went to school out uh, west in, in uh, University of Colorado. Um, I got into real estate development in particular um, through uh, my, after my freshman year of college, I had a an internship um, in Portland, Maine. I wouldn't really call it an internship by today's standards, but I was working uh, at a company up there that was a construction and development company. And um, I think at the end of the day, I, I always felt some semblance of entrepreneurial uh, blood flowing through my body as far as mowing lawns and hustling people for baseball cards and lemonade stands and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I just fell in love immediately. I had no clue what real estate was really, uh, even real terrors growing up. I didn't, wasn't exposed to it, but, uh, you know, really fell in love with all the moving pieces and the bricks and sticks and how, you know, you can change the face of a, of a area in one fell swoop. And then I went back to college my sophomore year and uh, pretty much ever since I've been focused on here how to be a developer um, so I you know, did a business school program and real estate program there and then uh, off to the races yeah that is interesting that you gravitated towards real estate so early a lot of people who are interested in business like you felt that you were going to be a self-employed person at a young age I probably did too even even if I wasn't super clear on that but a lot of people don't fall into their niche until much later when you learn about business models and everything else but you hit yours very early which is interesting yeah, I think it was, uh, I don't know, lost opportunity, all that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, for, for, I think a couple of the main things is I always thought of myself, or I always wanted to be creative, I don't know how creative I was, but I, I, I liked the idea of an architect, so I understood what that was, because my freshman year roommate was an architect maker, mm. and so I started going down that road, but I realized my uh, brain is not good at sitting in a room for all hours of day drawing. Um, but you can get the same result, you know, through building. And then, uh, and honestly, my I, I know there's plenty of colleges that have it, but my my college, my university, had a, a program that exposed me to all those things. And I wouldn't say I wanted to be 
I guess to clarify, I don't know if I wanted to be a developer day one, but I something to do with building and creating and numbers and all that. And so our, our business goal uh, was really, really good at exposing me to all the different you know, ways to go about that. Very cool. Yeah, that is very cool that you found that that calling, that niche so early. Um, so let me ask you, after college, were you ready to do your own thing right away? Were you ready to, you know, build a company or did you did you do something, did you get a W-2 job for a while to figure out, you know, learn the ropes and everything else and figure out exactly where you fit? Sure, good question. Uh, no, I mean, it seems like today's uh, 22, three-year-olds uh, seemingly are more prepared to go create uh, unicorn.com uh, <laughs> I was. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, um, I guess mature professionally in the sense that I wanted to have a job and, and you know start tackling my career, but I certainly wasn't ready to, to do that, or at least I, I can't imagine doing what I have done the last seven or eight years and starting when I was 22. Uh, plus, in real estate, you need money, um, and I didn't come from any money or have any money other than you know saving up a few bucks over the summer wave tables or whatever. So I think to do what I wanted to do, I needed to learn and, and expose myself. So when I graduated college, the hot real estate job was um, either to be a realtor, uh, a mortgage banker, which I know you can relate to, uh, or uh, like a tenant rep commercial broker. And I had a bunch of buddies that were doing all that because the payday was big. Uh, but I took a $28,000 a year job for a developer up in Baltimore that uh, was the, what I thought to be one, the first that someone would actually give me a job uh, because I didn't have a you know, Harvard credential, and uh, and two, really give me that hard knocks education, you know that I thought I needed. And were you cognizant of the fact that you were going in for the long play, that you wanted to not just take the job that was paying a lot of commissions this year, but really set something up for years down the road? I was. I that, was. That's yeah, good. I learned. I think I. I don't remember exactly when and how I learned, but I knew that I wanted to build buildings and things and all that and um, yeah I knew that there was getting caught in the brokerage world in particular uh, you know you could make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year back then um, obviously that cratered but uh, you know like any other business it takes years to build your Rolodex and your connections and all that and I just felt like for my personality that wasn't something that was cold calling and all that kind of stuff um wasn't by, by yeah, and also there, there's something that Jason and I talk about a, a lot um, when it comes to just the fee world of real estate versus the asset world, which is how we refer to it as. Um, yeah. Making commissions is a great thing. You know, getting a good check every month, paying your bills, that's all part of it for sure. But it's only part of it. And to have a model like yours is very unique in that the function of your business is to build and grow assets which is not the case for most businesses. Most businesses are, are transactional and you're doing a product or service, selling a product or service for a fee, at the end of the month you make X and that's that. Um, so your model's very, very cool in that regard and equally cool that you were focused on that so early on. I think the down, the couple of downturns that I know you and I both experienced in the dot-com bust um, at an early point of our career and then obviously the the Lehman Brother world, um, mm. you know, later, yeah. I think also, uh, I guess, further sharpened the focus on long-term assets uh, versus uh, quick buck type deals, because there's plenty of ways that are not 
what I would consider fee-based real estate ways to make money, flipping, whether it's flipping houses or flipping land or whatever, but you saw the guys and groups and companies that sustained both those, both those uh, big down shifts yep. uh, were always the folks that had the recurring income. Uh, so I think you know, that was a, a, something I, I, I'm sure along the way plenty of uh, wiser folks um, yeah, yeah, and since you mentioned those time periods, I think um, you guys and, and Jason and I with HMB were getting started right around the same point, like uh, after that, that crash, after that real estate crash, which obviously was tough to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's one area that we feel in which we, we got pretty lucky, pretty fortunate, just the timing of the whole thing to be able to start at the bottom and it's got nowhere to go but up, right? Couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, lucky is good. Uh, genius is not as No, but obviously, you know, it, it, the best time to take risk um, is when there's a lot less to lose, right? And so, um, I guess in my mind, for me, it was more um, just a happenstance that I wasn't married yet, didn't have a kid yet, any of the responsibilities. Yep. Um, I had made through all the. Um, uh, layoffs and whatnot in my company, and I still have a job, but it just felt like, yes, there was nowhere down to go, so this seems like the time to can the ball in, and your worst case is it doesn't work after a year, and you go back to finding a job, which I guess luckily in Washington, D.C. And, and all that, you know, it's, and especially back then, it was a reasonable assumption to make for that out. Sure. All right. Yeah, let's talk about that point in time. Let's talk about deal number one, because this is an area of interest for a lot of people checking it out who do have aspirations of one day starting their own company, be it in real estate or wherever else. Talk to us about that time, the transition period when you're leaving the W-2, getting things together and doing deal number one, still having to pay your bills, et cetera. Sure. Um, well, my, I, had a, I had a partner, uh, Adam Stiefel, you know, that started that with me. Um, there's a very long version of how we got to deal number one. But the long and short is um, the first deal that we thought was going to be deal number one as a kind of a moonlight side gig uh, blew up. Um, it just ended up being something that didn't make sense for a for, for long story reason. But um, it inspired us and we got, you know, the juices flowing on like we can do this. And we had raised a little cash. And to you know, get some backing and, and all that. I didn't. Um, I had no money other than you know, fifty grand in my four hundred one k or whatever it was at the time, and begged a couple banks. And so we had it all kind of teed up. But then, um, as I'm sure you guys know, the hardest part is finding the first deal. And so, you know, the first deal was the one that blew up. I consider. Then the second one was okay, committing to like let's try to find our side gig job. So I really it was a moonlighting thing to really start thinking. Let's flip the house. Let's do this. But I was working for a pretty sophisticated developer, and uh, our first deal was—it um, was honestly—it was just on the market, you know, with a couple of brokers, and it was a seven-unit condo project. But I, you know, back then, uh, no one was doing deals yet. I mean, there was no such right. thing as condo flipping and all that. I mean, it was really coming out of the troughs. But I knew from my development uh, job, my day job that the demand was there um, because, you know, the interest rates were so low um, and there was, a, there was plenty of people that wanted to buy houses given there was no supply. 
And so, uh, yeah, we, we, we've had the perfect first deal, you know, very limited risk um, as far as the moving pieces, you know, compared to a big complicated something or other that we knew how to do. And uh, beg the bank, beg some investors, uh, sign our life away and uh, cannibal in, you know, bought, bought uh, QuickBooks at Staples, sold my second bedroom furniture, you know, put a IKEA desk in there and, you know, yeah. Yeah. So luckily, be six, eight months later, whatever it was, um, you know, I would have all these like secret. Doc- I had a lot of doctor's appointments that year because I would tell my boss that I had to go to the doctor um, to go check on the projects and <laughs> right. and what. And, uh, and yeah, we um, we luckily sold out, and the thesis is right. And then uh, we made a commitment to ourselves that you know let's find one more, but if we can find one more, let's. Know, kind of quit the day job and give it a go. And so, uh, that's what we did. so you did quit the salary job after deal number two? After deal number one. Well, yes. The, the, the first deal that actually happened, okay. we, we quit. Uh, but yes, my lighthearted blow-up deal, I don't really consider. No, no, no. Really happened. So yeah, the first real deal that we put money in and committed to, uh, as soon as we found our second one, uh, again, there was a lot of risk. We signed up. You know, we basically rolled everything we made on the first one back in, and and uh, you know said let's let's go for that. Yeah. And it was kind of snowballed from there. So that would have been 2008 or so. I think that would have been 2009, or maybe maybe the second one was started in 2000, early 2010. Yeah. I think okay. My light year was 2009. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah, let, let's talk about, because Jason and I started a similar kind of way, like you, you do a few deals, like you do a few loans, um, a few acquisition and development deals, but you're not yet a company. You've just done a couple deals and you're a couple partners and you're doing everything yourself. Talk to us a little bit about the transition from doing a couple deals to what you feel is a legitimate company, a legitimate company with staff and transactions and it's more like a machine than just like a couple guys doing deals. Sure. Um, I think a couple things come to mind. One, you know, you had to learn somehow, right? And so I think um, I, I, you know, where I cut my teeth, a couple of shops I cut my teeth, I, I guess I consciously selected those places to work, or I, you know, weaseled my way into jobs and things like that. Uh, but the training ground, that you can, as long as you can absorb what's going on around you, and then going through a couple of tough times like a downturn, you start to really realize what it takes to run a business. You, of course, never experienced the things that it evolves to, um, of being, you know, a therapist to an employee and dealing with taxes and all those things. But you can, you know, you certainly can get a flavor for what the risk factor. Um, and then, you know, so then it's just hard work. You know, but I mean, it was a couple of years before me hiring anyone. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I did all the accounting myself. Accountants laughed at me at my work. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but the numbers were there, and the bank balances were wrecked out, and, you know, we made money, luckily, right? And then, um, yeah, then trial and error, you know, you're obviously trying to fill in gaps and create capacity, you know, over time, and then leverage what you've done. And so, you know, it wasn't for a few years until we took chips off the table, um, outside of trying to pay ourselves some money to keep the lights on, keep you know, pay the, pay the mortgage and all that kind of stuff. But, sure. Um, 100 hour weeks, you know, just a lot of work for, for a while. And then, uh, 
and then you got to find the right people. And, and we certainly uh, made our mistakes over the years of hires and all that. But um, the first hire that we made still works for us, and, and she's great, a partner. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is, is making uh, conscious decisions on who you're hiring that actually increase your capacity. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah, your team members are crucial. Yeah. Like administrative person should be like almost you can solve that pretty easily with someone who's really gonna increase your, your skill sets and all that kind of stuff. So For sure. So from there, yeah, it's, and then in development business, um, it's it's kind of the, the applying the fee you know, you get you get fees when you're building, you know, reasonable size projects. And so that's how you build the business. And so we were consciously just choosing deals that we felt like checked both the asset box that you mentioned and the uh, you know fee box, um, and then doing deals that we felt like no one else could, would do. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. A couple things. I was making a couple notes, and you were saying that, um, but I do want to come back to what you mentioned right there. Going backwards for a second, like like you said, there are plenty of unexpected things that pop up. Um, especially when you're going from, you know, you're doing a couple deals to you're growing and running a company. And I have a couple examples that we had. What's one or two things that popped up that you just said to yourself, seriously, I really have to deal with this? I had no idea this was involved. (laughs) Um, I I think for me, I'm sure it depends upon uh, the skill set that a business owner is coming into the business with. Um, But uh, just generally... Uh, HR and accounting and all that kind of stuff. It's just you know, insurance, um, workers' comp, setting up payroll, uh, not getting sued. Um, you know all the things that you know you think even if you're just a little two-person or five-person or ten-person company, like you don't have exposure. But um, I can assure you, you know there are examples where we had real exposure that. Maybe it wouldn't have brought the house down, but certainly could have been, you know, significant uh, impacts. And so we luckily got a, a couple of lessons early, um, just little things like missing a deadline for something or not filing the right XYZ. Sure. And, you know, makes you realize that, you know, you got to pay attention to all those things. So um, I'm sure that's true with most. Uh, but, you know, even now, like that's, that's a, it's a mind-boggling feat what our team does today to pull off tax season and, and making sure that the, the wheels are turning. Um, so I know that's kind of global, but I just think there's a bazillion little examples <laughs> that come up there. Uh, yeah, and, no. You know, I don't want to pick on like specific personnel issues, but there's just been a, you know a myriad of like emotions, right? Because everyone, especially in a small business, um, there's a lot of people that are relying on you and. You're relying on them, and they're likely taking a little more risk than they would be at a bigger company, and you know all the all the various things. So um, I think everyone, the right people, you know, get a lot of passion and emotion behind that, and it causes a lot of drama too. And so um, you know, over time, there's just been been a lot of that. So it's I wouldn't say there's anything though outside of the annoyance of learning the things you don't necessarily want to learn, but you're not really of interest. Right. Um, all of it's pretty positive, though. You know, like because you, you realize it's, it's part of the process. And 
um, part of the game. You know, you got it. It's a necessary evil. You know, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It, it, after you learn these things and get through it, it is super positive. Just seeing the machine that you've been able to build is a pretty special thing, and that's you know something we all get a lot of meaning from. And it is just funny to to joke about the little stuff that you don't, you know, yeah. it, you you want to build a building, you want to make an internet company. That's great, and that's what you feel that you're good at. But you have no clue about like, yeah, you have to have. Uh, the uh, unemployment insurance set up and payroll related stuff and HR that was a great one that you mentioned like not only HR in terms of like the the payroll and things like that but actually dealing with people who need stuff wasn't really anticipated <laughs> people need a lot of stuff um, you know especially when people grow with you and they start having families and you yeah. know, all those kind of things too it's, it's become, you know then that's the pressure cooker that you put that you gotta put on your shoulders to, to deliver and but I found out that the, the right people, yeah, there are certain people that actually enjoy doing all those little details that you don't know what you're doing. And yeah. so you got to find the right people that, you know, they get excited about, you know, the checks and balances of a bank account. Uh, and it's just how people are wired. Everyone's wired differently. So. Yeah. And it's definitely a rewarding thing, too, to... to to have a job that's so multifaceted and you have to be good at a lot of different things, or at least competent at many, many different things, which keeps it interesting for a lot of people who end up running their own businesses because they do want to have a lot of projects. They do want to have a lot of irons in the fire. And owning a company allows you to have exactly that, you know? Um, Switching back to something I jotted down before that I thought was interesting that you said and getting a little more into technical real estate type stuff, you mentioned that there are deals out there that you were able to capitalize on that other people wouldn't do. Um, speak to that a little bit, if you could. The the niche, you know, the area that you filled that has yeah. dif- differentiated you in the market. Yeah, um, what you know, the, the the elevator pitch that I guess we still utilize um, as far as what we think our overall strategy is, at least when it comes to development, is. Um, above the mom and pops and below the big boys. And so um, that definition is somewhat of a moving target depending upon what I was in, you know, the first deal versus the deal now. But I think there's always a slot where, I know offense to a mom and pop shop, but oftentimes when, like we just use someone who's uh, flipping their first house versus converting a, a seven unit apartment building condo and understanding how to protect yourself on the back end warranty, understanding how to set up condo docks and subdivisions and all the things that we did from uh, larger development deals. So when you came, you know, I came from a background with you know, big boy development with a lot of sophistication and historic approvals and zoning approvals and environmental contamination and all, all those things came second nature to me from they are just part of every deal. But when you get into the smaller scale, especially the early ones, those are there's plenty of deals that don't have that. So we would try to find the deals that had the real estate fundamental, but had some hairy stuff associated with them that spooked the mom and pop kind of world away. Oh. Um, and then we see, you know, we saw an opportunity to, you know, to, to, to get something out of it. So so every deal, pretty much that we've ever done, there's been. I have to count now. Um, there's always some angle that even the, the deals we do today, which are larger scale, 
but there's always something that, that we understood better than someone else did. Or we're able to understand the risk more clearly, underwrite it, and attack the deal based upon that. Wow. Now that is interesting. So you had some some skill sets from doing Harrier stuff, from working for big boy developers, so you were able to apply to smaller deals that spooked other smaller developers away from those deals. Yeah, I mean, that's why house building, right, is so rampant. Uh, back then it wasn't as much, but because uh, it, it doesn't take, outside of really understanding the math and the cost and the market, Right. Um, real estate, all real estate is not rocket science, right? So it's, you know, it's a pretty simple concept, uh, no matter what scale you're doing it at. But then it's understanding how to deliver the asset, whether you're selling it or renting it or whatever. And you know most big boy develop, you know, big developers get development. It's, it's really risky and it's got a lot of pitfalls. But now you know what you're doing. You know you can navigate that and budget for that and schedule for that and know the right people and all those kind of things. So I think we just tried to do it to do it that way and build a business. That's how we're able to build a business. You know? and so that's why we never did a house flip. We looked at them early, but we just never did it because um, the competition was so much greater. Yeah, so you didn't have, you didn't have an angle. You didn't have an angle, like like you do in your business. Yeah. I mean, right. There's obviously nuances. You kind of realize, um, and I'm not discounting that. The special scale house flipping um, is, you know, there is an angle. Like you're often, whether it's efficient capital or being uh, a little bit quicker with folks like yourself or whatever the case may be. Like there's, there's, I'm not saying there's not angle. But the risk profile is way, way more, and, and being able to be bankable, you know, with the real with lenders to support it, you know, that's that's where the I guess the secret sauce is, and not that we have to roll in with doing it, but that's what it takes to differentiate. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, the house flippers a different game. I mean, they're they win on the volume guys anyway. They win on, in essence, marketing because they get lower buy yeah. prices. Yeah. Make your money when you buy. Uh, in yeah. in the residential world, and then also just in straight execution, which applies to everything, for sure. Like, le- like you said, you understand the model, you understand the numbers, you understand the product, you're not inventing some new technology, it's just real estate, um, yeah. but the execution is everything. Execution is huge. That's a good word that we haven't talked about yet, for sure. That's, that's what it's all about. And we've seen it firsthand. We've, we've done deals right next to other developer, literally. And we're like done and sold out or leased up or whatever, and they're still halfway through construction and we have the same plot. And, and some of that's hard work, but a lot of that is just really understanding how to navigate the system. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the system's imperfect, so you're, you know, navigating is the perfect word for it. You know, very true. I mean, we have a few hundred construction loans outstanding, and people do very different stuff. <laughs> with their properties, very different That's stuff and very different time frames. Right, there's a lot of stakeholders you gotta manage, mm-hmm. neighbors and politics and approvals and lenders and investors and all that. I mean, it makes it fun, but it's a uh, other piece of you know, yeah. looking them all in the eye and dealing with saving their day. For sure, yeah. Let's let's stay with that topic for a minute. You personally, as a developer, as a business operator, what do you think are one or two of your strengths? that make you good at what you do? Uh, I think probably first and foremost is understanding people, or, you know, <laughs> or at least, uh, and I'm not saying in some sort of academic way, but I mean being able to relate to a broad spectrum, and that gets obviously, uh, 
there are certainly plenty of governors that are not liked, but you know we, we certainly strive to uh, be respected, um, and that goes obviously in a long way with trust and, and and relationship building that you need. I, I mean, there's probably on any one of our projects, there's easily 50 people, you know, not including neighbors that are involved in executing the project. You know, every engineer, every permit reviewer, every TEPCO person, I mean, everyone you can possibly think of. Um, so understanding how to, how to communicate um, and, and not be asking them, you know, and actually you know, tell them the truth and doing what you're going to say, but understanding the empathetic side of it, um, I think is probably the number one skill set. Uh, and then it dovetails into understanding what product to deliver, right? Because if you don't think through what people want, um, you don't know what to build. And so, you know, understanding the people side of that, uh, and, you know, it obviously varies depending upon your product type. Renters versus buyers and millennials versus baby boomers and all that stuff. So I think the people, uh, people underestimate the, the people side of, of real estate. You know? I didn't expect you were going to say that, I have to say. I didn't think you were going to go in that direction, but that's a very, very cool answer, um, especially coming from a real estate developer, having the, the focus on all the very various, all the various people involved yeah. in a transaction like that and actually taking the time to, to touch people, form relationships. Like, that's a, that was a surprise. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah steamrolling doesn't really work, at least in urban development. I'm sure, you know, if you're doing a farm field somewhere, it's Yeah. But, and then the second, I think, is just um, uh, appetite for risk, pain, fire drills, punches in the gun. I mean, just being able to really sustain, because even though you try to relate to all the people and all that kind of stuff, um, something inevitably goes wrong. Um, and then so it's being able to manage that, both emotionally and literally, you know? And so I think um, this isn't, a business for the faint of heart, and I think everyone <laughs> thinks real estate development is uh, is you know the, the the glory of delivering a beautiful house or building or whatever uh, restaurant, etc. Uh, but it's it's 90, 80, 90 percent of it is just blocking and tackling through various tasks and processes and trying to think ahead and all those kind of things. So I think just the appetite for risk and the persistence to get through it, you know, is, is, is if you don't have those two skills, um, not necessarily as a person, I think the best developers have those in, within you know, themselves, but certainly within the company, you know, you got our partnerships or whatever, you got to be able to, to do that. Because all the other stuff's easy, you know, felt it. Yeah. The stuff, the stuff that you expect, the stuff that you expect to have to do. Um, but yeah, I can only imagine. The investors, right? Like you guys, I'm sure you said this a million times. Uh, finding the money is easy, right? But most people would think that's the hardest part. Yeah, let's talk about that because you and I talked about that many, many years ago, and yeah, and that'll come up here and there too. Um, it's a frequent topic in real estate that. The cart and the horse. You don't know which one to put first. You have a deal. Do you have the capital lined up? And what people told us and told you that we later on found out to be true and joked about is that if you have the right deal, the money will find you. Um, yes. Have you found that to be true? 100%. 100%. I mean, I'm sure there's anomalies of folks that already have a lot of money or are backed by big companies that have a lot of money. And no doubt if you've got a fire hose of capital, uh, you know, it can certainly 
make things a little more streamlined. Uh, but as far as getting started and, and building from ground up, you know, zero to whatever your goal is, um, I've literally never had a problem figuring out the money. I'm not saying it's perfect money every time or exactly the way you underwrote it or whatever, but like getting the deal done is uh, never the problem. I found the same to be true. Even early on when it was not nearly as much capital as there is in the market now and we had deals closing that needed to be funded, there was never one transaction that we couldn't close because of capital ever, um, which is super surprising if you just, you know, especially when you're new to it and everyone says the same thing. And then later on, you find out this to be true. It's pretty, pretty interesting in that regard. Um, okay, going back to a question I asked earlier, but the flip side of it, what's one thing that you would improve about yourself, a skill set of some kind that you'd like to be better at if you could? Sure, um, and I'm sure my wife would agree too, but just generally listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, because you get, it, it's, uh, I guess the third the third prong, we, we, you asked for two, but I would add passion to the to the you know, kind of character traits of something you, you got to, because you can't go through the, the pain tolerance and all the things you talked about without, you know, really enjoying it. And so I think by default, um, I have certainly have a tendency to get very excited. Um, and and uh, I'm very good at convincing myself that, you know, that this is the right way to do something. Um, and I've gotten exponentially better over the years. Um, uh, professionally and, and all that, and personally too, but um, on trusting the team and, mm. and listening to other opinions and, and all that. Because it, it was never like an ego thing, it's really just a passion thing. You know? it's, yeah. Uh, but, but I'm sure you know the same thing, but it comes into the layers of that, right? Which are uh, listening to other opinions, but then once you do that, you know, trusting the delegation that they're going to get it done, but they probably won't get it done the same way you would, but they'll still get it done. You know, or, or maybe they'll make a mistake and then it doesn't happen twice. But all those things. But I think it, it all stems from from listening and, and, and truly listening and appreciating what uh, you know the best ideas are. And, and certainly an ethos of mine now, um, which is best idea win. Because I I certainly know I've been wrong a, a bunch. Yeah, that's interesting how you connected the listening to people. Just very very simple listening, either personally or professionally with delegating because that, that is an interesting connection there um, a lot of company owners have experienced the exact same thing you said it's not it's not an ego thing it's just at first maybe just keeping control of what you've always done yourself I mean at first it was just you and your partner and you did everything and so to delegate tasks as you go on is a challenge that we all have to go through and I, I was told one thing that was very helpful by a business coach, a business coach I used to work with and he said that if the person on your team that you're delegating it to can do it 80% as well as you can, that's good enough. Delegate it. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I would exceptionally subscribe to that period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's scale. Over time, you have you know, more awesome team members doing good stuff. And, and sometimes it'll be a big win and that you'll find somebody, and I'm sure you found this, they're actually significantly better than you than you were, like your accountants, for example. Like, you're never as good of an accountant as they are right now. But it was still hard to let it go. Um, but it's cool. No, that, very... one wasn't that, that one wasn't that hard. No, no, I was happy to get rid of that one. 
that, no, I was not, it was not hard to let that one go. I don't think we have the personality types for that. Um, okay, another question. If you had to rewind to the time when you started Cast Regler and start a completely different business model in real estate or anything else, is there anything that jumps to mind? If you had to start another company, could not be this model. That's a tough one. I don't think so. Because it's all a problem. I mean, we're pretty young, right? And I just think it's a process. And, um, you know, you only have so many options, right? You know, sure, you can go back and think through, like, uh, we did a ton of condos early mm-hmm. because I had no money. And in my mind, I understood condos. I knew how to get them done. And you know, we knew how to make money at them. And in my mind, making money at condos was my path to creating cash to shore up the company to grow long-term assets. Like that was always the plan. Um, looking back, if some of the buildings we either built or uh, some of the strategy of like spending a bunch of energy finding another condo project, I would have spent in 2009 or 10 or 11 when things were still really cheap to buy an apartment building or whatever, something that's a long-term. 100% there would have been situations I'd be better off as far as long-term hmm. assets and basis and whatever. But then going back, like, you know, you weren't, you were just in the moment and you're doing what you have right. to do best and you're just trying to pick a strategy and run with it and, you know, it's a long game. And so we, we eventually morphed when it felt natural and we could do it. Um, but I, but I wouldn't change that per se, but I would, but no doubt. You know, you think about like the kind of oh man, I missed that one. But I, you know, you can drive around any city, I'm sure, and say like, man, if I only bought that building 20 years ago, sure, you know, sure, it'd be double, you know, whatever. So uh, no regrets, but that would be, you know, strategy wise. But outside of that, it's just the process. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not a rear view mirror type person. Um, so tons of mistakes, but. Uh, Very good. Very good stuff. I'm going to clarify that real quick. A lot of our audience, a lot of the people watching are real estate people, but a lot of them are are not, you know, uh, business people looking to check out a company owner's story. So just to clarify that real quick, what Kevin meant was he was talking about apartments versus condos. So a condo is something you're going to build and sell. It's like a flip. It's like something you're, you're selling for profit this year. An apartment building is something that you hold and own and rent out long term. So we've touched on that a couple times during this interview, the difference between the the fee world of real estate and the asset world. In your business, you can do both pretty well, right? Because you build fees, and even on an apartment project, you build fees to the job. You charge a job fees, which pays the overhead of your company and everything else. And then long-term, you're going to pay investors back and own a big-ass building. That's the idea. Uh, Generally, the idea. But we're, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the future of the market, uh, but, you know, it, it developing fees are all well good when you're developing. Uh, but I think, you know, as we saw by last couple of downturns, there has to be a correction coming. I don't know whether it's next month or five years or whatever. But um, the development business itself is not sustainable. So... What do you mean by that? Because, well, because you're naturally going to be... Unless you are an incredibly mature development company, but I would be willing to bet a lot of money that the ones that you guys, that anyone could Google in any city that you think they're a successful development company, the 
reason they've been around for 40 years is because they have property management or asset management or leasing or fee-based businesses that keep the lights on during when development is not hot. Now, you're not Got it. getting rich and <clears throat> any of those kind of things necessarily off the fee income, but um, that's certainly a shift in where we're headed next is, you know, the guard is up on development in the market and, and then trying to create a more sustainable long-term fee base um, through management and, and the like to, uh, you know, sustain a, a, a longer runway. Okay. I see you. what you mean by sustainable now is that depending on where the market's going, sometimes you're developing and sometimes you have other aspects to your business, fee-based stuff, rental income, management. Okay, that's what you meant by sustainable. I get that. Let's yeah. keep let's keep going in that direction. Um, what do you see in today in the market in the next like year or two? Um, you know, today, at least, in, in, you know, I, I guess we are not a national developer, so we're very much, you know, students of our market, which is the D.C. general area, Virginia, D.C., Maryland, et cetera. Um, things are generally overpriced. Um, things are uh, really hard to make sense of, for the most part, um, unless you have an angle or something unique with those angles that they are yep. fewer and far between, you know, as far as the opportunities. Um, you have to buy land or buy a building to create, you know, the asset. And sellers are still, I think, uh, uh, caught up in the last, the glory of the last seven or eight years, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's only going up or whatever, right? And, and so I believe we've hit a general peak. I know the Dow keeps going up and up and all that, but um, at least from real estate, what you can support in real estate values in this area and I believe in most major markets across the country, uh, it, it's hard to make sense of things. And construction costs, um, I don't know, at, at all the various levels of construction, but at our scale and larger, um, they're just mind-boggling through the roof. And, and it depends well. on the supply and demand, you know. So uh, it's, a, it's certainly a contractor's market at the moment. So, um, and then hmm. interest rates and all that, obviously, play a factor in, in, in all that inflation question, crystal ball stuff. Um, but big picture, I think the supply and demand fundamentals, whether you're buying or renting or whatever, um, are relatively sound. Um, I don't think, doesn't seem like, you know, a big crash is coming. But, you know, we've been, we've had quite a party for seven or eight years here, um, not just in real estate, right, and all sure. uh, businesses. And, and so I just, you know, guards up. And, and of course, this is the first time in my life where I've got something to to lose the company and the people relying on, on the company and, and all that so you want to protect it and, uh, and try to have some foresight but I it's hard to you know no, no one anyone who thinks they know five years out I mean, they, you know they're just they're BS and they don't know so uh, so I, our, our plan is just to, to block and tackle what we have you know kind of not screw up what, we, what we're doing we have you know the things in construction right now and then um look out for opportunities but I think the real opportunities in real estate you know they might be preparing for like five years from now you know kind of get, getting through this and then and then waiting for a couple balls to drop off or something like that so. no I totally agree um, we talk about something similar in that 
we're not you know waiting for the other shoe to drop so much i don't think there's an impending crash that's going to completely change everything in other words i don't think it's going to be 2006 and 7 i don't think it's yeah. going to be like that um i agree that it's cooled a bit and leveled off which is fine and at some point it'll start moving in the other direction um hold on Sorry, I have technical difficulties here, but... uh, okay no that's okay there we are. No problem. We'll, we'll snip that out. <laughs> all right. All good. Yeah, we'll wrap it up here in a second. But, um, yeah, just to finish that. Yeah. No, um, just to finish that thought, we, we're we looking at the same stuff, and we've tightened up on underwriting and the loan portfolio in the past, like, year or two, which we believe to be ahead of it. And we might even be sacrificing some volume in order to do that, but it's going to be better – Long term, um, I think capital is going to flow out of the market at some point. There's just so much money in the real estate world now, capital-wise. And it's not always going to be that way. And to keep a tight portfolio, play it smart, same thing. Whenever something does happen, there's going to be opportunity. You know, Buffett-style, buying the way down, right? Yeah. Um, so we're going to be looking out for that as well. And I like, I like to hear that because a lot of people in our space, a lot of people in real estate in general – just play the volume game. We got to do more. We got to do more. We got to do more. And I think it's short-sighted. And I think that those are the people who don't necessarily win long-term. Yeah. Um, so about long-term, uh, tell us what you see down the road. Not, not predicting the future, no crystal ball type stuff, but ideally what you want when you see, okay, the kids are off to college and you and your wife are hanging out and you got more of a lifestyle business going. Tell us what that looks like for you. Um, you know, of course, uh, anyone who works, uh, this, this, you know, it gets hard, it takes this much risk, you know, you, you have your dreams about all that. Um, mm-hmm. honestly, right now with, you know, I got three kids under five and, and everything's just so wow. focused on, on getting through that window, uh, and, and fixing yourself and realizing that all the work paid off, at least knock on wood, you know, um, mm-hmm. that, that you can comfortably do that, um. But, but all in, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's all about having fun. And so for me, what I really would like to do is our, uh, the folks that work with me here, um, I want to really grow that, grow with them so that they can take a more uh, ownership and partnership position and, and really you know, build out the company that way. Um, I also think that real estate uh, it's changing and there's different ways to leverage that to back to the whole people idea but looking at like what we work and, and the like is doing so mm-hmm. kind of revolutionizing the way people operate and work and, you know uh, look at buildings um, I think yeah. there's an evolution of that and and, and not just office you know or any, any sector there um, so I, I think what we're really going to do over the next few years is, is start uh, branching out beyond what we know so well and, and becoming students to learn about what those opportunities are uh, and and try to try to pick a path that way. But yeah, like everyone else, I'm sure, you know, happy helping kids see the world, you know, all those fun things, uh, place to golf, you know, etc. But um and in our company culture, and I think similar to yours, it's, it's uh, certainly work hard, play hard. Uh, you know, we're not... As it should be. 
as it should be. Exactly. So, so that's you know that's it, it's fun to be able to talk about stuff like that. But I, I think there's uh, plenty of hard work ahead, and, and uh, I guess it's hard for me to think think too far down the road there. That's a very PC answer. I do appreciate that. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Um, good stuff. Well, no, I definitely appreciate you taking the time. I have enjoyed seeing what you've been able to build. Looking forward to seeing more of that in the future. Very cool stuff you guys have going on over there. And again, thank you again for being with us. Kevin Riegler from Cass Riegler Companies. Can you let people know how they can contact you or find your company, see what you're up to, anything like that? Sure. Uh, and thanks, Chris, for having me. Fun chat. Um, yeah, it's just Kevin Reaver, and the, the website is www.castreaver.com. Uh, all of our contact info is on there, including my email address. Uh, so feel free to reach out and, and uh, look forward to hearing from people. Good stuff.